Uh, we're going to come now to the reading of God's word. So it's in, the, in Paul's short letter uh, to Philemon. You find it just before the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. So please do have that open. Martin Walker is going to read it to us. And then Colin is going to come and preach God's word to us. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning as we come together to, to God's word. Uh, let us bow together in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to settle our hearts before you, that we might have uh, just full focus on what you would say to us this morning. We pray that your spirit would be at work in us, that we might come to, to know you more, to love you, and to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you could picture just for a moment perhaps a person in your life that you're having some trouble with. 
Maybe a person in your life that you're struggling to forgive. I want you to close your eyes just for a few seconds, just to picture that person. And if that person is smirking back at you in your head, then that's the right person. So just think about that person that you're struggling with, maybe someone that you're struggling to to forgive, or just someone that you're having difficulty with in smaller ways. Because really, when we think about forgiving people, life can be quite hard. It can be quite painful. We, we receive words sometimes from others, sometimes close to us, that can really cut, really cut to the heart. And it can be forgive, very difficult to forgive and to move on and to release that, that, that pain which they've caused. I mean, often it's in betrayal of, of trust, sometimes in a friendship as you're close with someone, and other times it's with a, in a marriage. Those might be in big ways or in small ways, that there is some real pain which has been caused. I mean, in lockdown days, these, in these days, you see that far more prevalent. It's far more prevalent in the lives of, of people, that they are struggling in conflict, in small things, or in big things, in everyday life. Because really, we, we all struggle in forgiving people, don't we? We all struggle in that. Because as we mentioned in marriage, sometimes there is conflict that comes up, and we might say that we forgive someone, but, but can we for, forget what they've done? Can we forget that? Because it's not easy. It's not easy to forgive someone from the heart. There was a recent uh, article uh, published from a, a vicar in Bristol whose, uh, whose son was, was killed in a terrorist attack uh, recently. And, and they said they actually couldn't forgive the people who had done it. And as a result, that bitterness, that hardness just dwelt up in them. And as a result, they had to come out of the ministry because they couldn't forgive the people that had done that. They couldn't forgive I mean, those are, those are big episodes, but just in general life, in general life, we have these struggles, don't we, of forgiving people in the everyday events of life. Well, what does, what does God say about that? What does God say? As we turn to the series today, uh, back to the series, I should say, we're looking at the, the letter of Philemon and uh, the series of forgotten little letters. So we're looking at Philemon and second and third John. They're forgotten because very few people know where they are and they come, they don't really read them very often or maybe they haven't heard them preached very often. So the, the, the key themes which come up in them are love, forgiveness and truth. Specifically looking at Philemon today, there are two big themes in the letter to Philemon. One is, as we looked at last week, that of love and the second part which we'll look at today is that of forgiveness and reconciliation. So the first part is really immersed in love, and the second part, forgiveness and reconciliation. And so the context for the letter is written in 60, 61 AD. Paul is writing to Philemon, who's in Colossae. It's tied into the letter of Colossians. Um, and Tychius, who's mentioned in Colossians, uh, goes with Onesimus to um, Colossians and the area of Laodicea. They're going there to take a letter. 
And because um, one asymus or one asymus has has run away, he's a runaway slave, slave to Philemon, and uh, to run away as a slave really means death. If you run away as a slave, you break the law, and it is death. Not only that, but later in the letter it mentions that he's possibly stolen something, so he's a thief and a runaway slave, both punishable by death. And so. Paul sends this letter along with uh, Tychius and Winesimus to say, will you, will you forgive this man? Will you forgive this man? Because what's happened in the life of Winesimus, as we see in verse 10, is that he has been converted. He is now a Christian. It mentions that just in verse 10, that I appeal to you as my son, Winesimus. He has become a son of God. Um, so something radical has happened in his life. And in that basis, Paul appeals to Philemon on the basis of love. He speaks to him from the basis of love. In verse 9, he speaks to, to Philemon and says, I could appeal to you on another basis, but I, on the, I want to appeal to you on the basis of love. That's the tone of the letter, that Paul speaks to Philemon with a heart full of love to say, will you forgive this man who is now a brother in the Lord? And that really speaks to the theme this morning that we're going to speak about, which is forgiveness, specifically favorable forgiveness, because Paul is asking Philemon to do this favor for him, that he would forgive him. And so as Paul writes to Philemon on behalf of Winesimus to forgive, so we can learn many lessons from that this morning. Specifically, why should we forgive and reconcile with others? Why should we forgive and reconcile with others. And there's three pieces that we'll look at this morning. Firstly, we forgive compelled by love. Forgive compelled by love. And secondly, we reconcile as God powerfully changes us. And thirdly, we forgive as Christ has paid our debt. So firstly, as we look at the passage, we forgive compelled by love. Verse 8 to 12. Let me read that. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. Verse 8 there, you'll see, starts with a therefore. And we ask the classic question, what's the therefore, therefore? And in the basis of the first part of the letter, it is really all about love. Because Paul is encouraged by Philemon's love, as he displays that love to all God's people, to all God's people. And in a sense, because Philemon has been such an encouragement, such an example of the love of God to all people, the rest of the letter is almost like a case study to say, remember how you have loved all people, Philemon? Well, here's the test. Here's the practical test of whether you really do love all people because there's a the author at c.s lewis when he speaks about forgiveness he says everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive 
Really, when the rubber meets the road, that's when we understand whether we really will follow through on what we say we believe. And Paul, he appeals to him, he appeals to him on the basis of love because he could, in many other letters, many other of Paul's letters, he addresses the people there, the, the people he's speaking to as the Apostle Paul, the man who has real authority, the man who has seen Jesus Christ. But he doesn't say that in this letter. No, he starts off and says, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Not a powerful apostle, or certainly not. He doesn't want to appeal to people based on his strong authority as an apostle. And so he looks to him based on love. He looks to Philemon to appeal to him based on love. We look at verse 9, 10, and 12. Verse 9, he says, I appeal to you on that basis of love because, because he has become, Onesimus has become my son. Verse 10. He's become my son. And then verse 12 speaks about how he has become uh, like my very heart. He is my very heart who I am sending back to you. It's such a powerful picture of the passion that Paul has for Onesimus. That he sees him as a son, as a, a loved one, a beloved one, that he is sending his very own heart back to Philemon. And therefore he's saying to Philemon, will you forgive this man who is now like a brother to us? It's much like really the dynamic of perhaps a, a father, you know, that that, uh, that Paul is, is like a father in this episode, that he has two two sons, two children, if you like, and they've both been having a bit of a fallout. But the father comes in and he could he could just put the hammer down and be angry or use his authority to tell people that you must uh, forgive one another as children, as sons. But he doesn't do that. No, like a father, he comes alongside and he comes in a loving manner to say, will you forgive this man who is now a brother in the Lord? He appeals to him on the basis of love, not on the basis of, of power and authority. And so that is why we should look to forgive others, because we should be full of love, just as Paul is full of love for, for Onesimus and for Philemon as well. And looking at reconciliation, we reconcile as God powerfully changes us. Verse 13 to 16. Let me read that. It says, I, I would have liked to keep, to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not be seen, would not be forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. The interesting thing, the radical change, the powerful change in Onesimus' life is significant in the in the words. In fact, Onesimus, his name means useful. But as you look to verse 11, it says, uh, verse 10 actually, Onesimus tells you that. And if you have a footnote there, it will say, Onesimus means useful. And then in verse 11, he says, well, formerly he was useless to you, 
but now he has become both useful to me and to you. That previously he was completely useless as a slave because clearly he had run away because there was, there was problems there. He had been a thief as well, causing problems. And so he probably wasn't a man that you would want to be one of your servants. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, well, he's radically changed. He's radically been changed. It reminds me really of Ephesians 4 when Paul speaks about those who steal. He says, don't, don't be like those who steal anymore because you've been become new in Christ. And because you become new, you do things which are useful. And instead of stealing, instead of taking, you actually are useful and you use your hands to work and to build. And that's exactly what happens in the, in the life of Onesimus, that he goes from being useless to being useful, to being, from being a dishonest man to being an honest man. But at the same time, Paul is, a, is aware of the, of the law at that time. In verse 13 and 14, he says, I would, I would like to have kept him, but I, I didn't want to do it. Um, I didn't want to compel you to do it. And he's aware as well of the, of the law at that time, where Philemon, uh, in a sense, owned uh, Onesimus as a slave. So Paul is writing to him to, to compel him on the basis of love to say, receive him as a brother, no longer just as a slave but as a brother. Slavery in that time is not like 17th, 18th century uh, slave trade stuff. People would sell themselves into slavery so that they would actually be able to live. It, it, some, Yes, some slave masters were brutal, but, but many of them used them as, as servants. And so they would have a sense of security, a sense of provision, a sense of freedom. And so Paul is aware Paul's aware of the law when it comes to slavery, that he, he couldn't really take back Onesimus because he is, in that sense, Philemon's property. So he doesn't want to, doesn't want to steal him, nor does he want to use his authority to take him from him. But he, but he does so as he asks for this favor, just as it says in verse 14 there, so, so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but voluntary. He doesn't want to just put the hammer down and, and take him, but he wants to compel him on the basis of love. It makes me think, actually, when it comes to authority, there's a couple of examples which come to mind. One is um, in the world of football, of which I know very little, if anything, at all. But I do know there are two popular football teams. There is Tottenham, which boo or hiss, I'm not sure, and Liverpool, of which Nathan, I'm sure, loves. And there's two football managers, isn't there? There's uh, Jose Mourinho and Jurgen Klopp. Now, Jose Mourinho, whether you like him or not, his style is very much uh, de- demanding. He's very authoritarian in his style of leading. He commands his players to do certain things. And they might get the job done. In fact, they, they are at the moment above Liverpool in the Premier League. But at the same time, if you're playing for Liverpool, if you're playing for Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp, the experience of that is somewhat different. Because from everything that you read, everything that you see, people love working for Jurgen Klopp. People love playing for Jurgen Klopp because of his love for the players. For each player, he just shows that intensity of love for them. He could tell them exactly what to do and command it of them. And I'm sure he does give them instructions. But you can see that the players love him, really want to play for him because of the love that he displays to them. 
And as well, we think about, so all this has happened. There's a lot of fallout from the, from running away, from Onesimus running away. In verse 15 and 16, it says, perhaps the reason that he was separated from you for a little while was that he, you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. And that's the thing that sometimes things don't go the way we would plan. But God has a plan. He is in control. He's sovereign over all things. He's working to redeem all things. And he redeems us by his Holy Spirit to radically transform us, to radically change us. And that's exactly what happens in the life of Onesimus, that he is completely changed from a man who runs away and a thief to become an honest man, a man who wants to do right. It reminds me, actually, uh, in uh, in Glasgow, my um, I was chatting to my my dad recently, and he's part of a church there in Glasgow, where they have a, a ministry to uh, to people who have struggled with uh, drugs and alcohol. And the guy that leads that, a guy called Terry, he is from a certain part of Glasgow, a place called Mary Hill, or close to Mary Hill. And the interesting thing with Mary Hill is, my dad was a police divisional commander of Mary Hill. And so he knows the person who led that, who, who now leads that ministry. He knows the person, he knows his friends because he knows all the acquaintances in that area. And that's the amazing thing of the gospel. That people can be transformed from a life such as that. A life in slavery. Slavery to sin. Living for themselves. Drugs, alcohol, and pleasure to the maximum. But God rescues them out of that that they might no longer become a slave, but actually become a son, a son of God, that even people like that would then be able to be part of the same church, to serve alongside one another. And not only that, but actually serve the Lord as ministers of the gospel. That's the powerful work of the gospel in people's lives, how much God can transform people's lives. Because when Asimus goes from being a slave, a slave to sin, to being a brother, an eternal brother. And that's what Paul is compelling Philemon, why he's compelling him to reconcile with Onesimus, because he's saying he was a slave, but he's no longer just a slave. He's a brother in the Lord. So will you accept him as that? So we've seen how we're called to reconcile, but also we're called to forgive as Christ has paid our debt. I'll just read verse 17 to 21 and then just at the end, verse 25. And so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And then just at the very end there, after giving salutations from other workers, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul is really saying there in verse 17, to receive Onesimus is like to receive me. If you consider me a partner in the gospel, as he mentioned 
but earlier in the letter that Philemon is amazing in his love for all people. He's sharing in partnership in the gospel. And that's what Paul is appealing to here. If you consider me a partner in the gospel, then you will welcome him as you welcome me. Just the same as a servant of the Lord. As it mentions in the very beginning there, a fellow worker for the gospel. And then, as well as that, he speaks about his personal sacrifice. That Paul is saying, if he owes you anything, so if he has stolen from you, I will pay it back. I will pay that debt. In the letters, normally they are, they are, he has a scribe, so he would dictate and there would be a scribe. But he takes the pen and writes it in his own, in his own words to say, I am writing this. If there's a debt, let me pay it. If there's a debt, I will pay it. A personal sacrifice. Because as he mentions to Philemon, well, you owe me my, you, you owe me your life. Because clearly Philemon has come to know Jesus through Paul's ministry as well. So Paul is saying to him, won't you, won't you just see how much God has done for you? Won't you see that we, what we share in the Lord, how much God has done for all of us, that He has redeemed all of us, that we might share in that. The, the, the piece there where he says that in verse 20, I, I pray, brother, that you might have some benefit, I might have some benefit from you in the Lord. It's the same word for useful. So he's saying, um, as Onesimus has been useless and is now useful, I want you to be the exact same thing. And he uses that same phrase as he does in the beginning there, that you would refresh the hearts of the people. He says, I want, I want you to be a refreshment. Refresh my heart in Christ. And he's saying that because he wants them to, to see what we share in the gospel. At the very end of the letter, he speaks about, he speaks about the grace of God. Sometimes in other, in other letters, there'll be different mentions of different part, different persons of the Trinity and different focus. But he is confident, as it says in verse 21, I am confident that you will, you will obey to the, obey this in the sense that you will respond to the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. That you will, that you know the grace of God in our Lord Jesus. And because you know the grace of God, then you will forgive this man who is a brother in the Lord. But perhaps you're saying to yourself, perhaps you're saying, actually, I don't, I don't really, I don't want to forgive this person because perhaps you don't know, Colin, you don't know my situation. And that's true. I don't know your situation. And as well, when it comes to reconciliation, well, sometimes reconciliation is not possible. Sometimes in practice, it's actually not possible. Because we, we call, especially brothers and sisters in the Lord, we call them to respond to the grace of God in their life. We call them to repent, to forgive one another, and to be reconciled. And because of our sinful nature, often we don't respond to it. And so it can be quite painful to see that. Because people have gone through much pain in their lives, whether that's whether they've been slandered or gossiped about, or they've even been abused in various ways, or there's been a betrayal, adultery. Sometimes reconciliation is not possible. So that can be quite hard. That can be very painful. But there is one person, there is one person that can empathize with us in that. Maybe when we don't, 
when we don't feel like forgiving, when it comes to reconciliation, sometimes that's not on us. It's not on us. But forgiveness is. And so maybe we don't at times feel like we want to forgive people. But there is one who has empathized with us to that point as well. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who empathizes with us in every way, even this. Because when you think about it, he didn't want to go to the cross either. He didn't want to pay the penalty. Because as you remember, he says, not my will be done, but yours be done. And yet he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he did so in love. He did so in love. Because God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. That's truly wonderful, isn't it? To know God's love because God's love leads to forgiveness. Because that's exactly why Jesus came. The fruit of love is forgiveness. The fruit of love is forgiveness. That is why Paul is compelling Philemon to forgive based on love. You can imagine the picture there with Philemon. You know, when Asimus runs off, having probably stolen from him, run off as a slave, and so therefore he, he doesn't get his work, the work done. And Philemon, you can think of him in his house, just thinking, this guy is a dead man. And he wouldn't mean it metaphorically either. He would mean it literally. Because as we mentioned, he is... Uh, he is guilty. When Asimus is guilty as a slave, he's guilty as a thief. So death would have been the option. Death would have been the law, actually. So he's festering in rage in his house. You could see that picture, can't you? Just, just eaten up with bitterness. How dare he do that? How dare he run away from me? How dare he steal from me? You can see the rage that would build up in time. And then on the other side, we have Onesimus, who's changed, who's a changed man, who becomes a brother in the Lord. And then he is convicted of his sin and thinks, I need to put this right. I need to do the right thing, even though it's costly. And so he compels Paul. He says, you know, Paul, will you, will you write this letter to Philemon on my behalf? that I might be reconciled to my brother. And so Paul intercedes in love for Onesimus. He intercedes on his behalf, just as Jesus intercedes on ours. He intercedes in love that we might be forgiven too, that we might be reconciled to God. And so how how will you respond to that message this morning? Is there someone, that person that you pictured, is that someone that you need to forgive and be reconciled to? Or is there someone someone else that you're having trouble with that you need to forgive from your heart? Why why do so? Why do so? Well, when we think about debt, when we think about Paul and his personal sacrifice of paying that debt, it makes me think really of, of Romans 6, which speaks about debt and wages. And for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
We owe a debt to the Lord. We owe a debt. But Jesus Christ has paid for it in full. He has given the gift of salvation through his sacrifice on our behalf, interceding for us that we might be reconciled to God. And that's wonderful, isn't it? To know that he has paid, he has paid for our sin. He's done it all. But maybe before we close, yes, you've probably heard these truths for many, many times, or maybe even over many years. But there might be one question that still, if you haven't forgiven this person, you might still have this thing in your head of saying, well, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like forgiving that person. And there's possibly, there's possibly two responses to that. But maybe one passage which might be helpful just to look at would be Matthew 6. So if you have a Bible, just turn to Matthew 6. Uh, I'm sure you all know it very well, the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6. And just uh, verse, verse 9 to 12. How do we respond to people, to forgive people when we perhaps don't feel like it? Just thinking through how Jesus taught his disciples. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Perhaps when it comes to forgiveness, there might be a point where we say, I'd love to forgive this person, but I don't feel it. But I know I need to do it, and I will do it. I will do it, but I just need time to process. And that's okay. We all need time to process to then forgive someone, but we do need to act upon it. And the second position really is to say, I will never forgive that person. I will never forgive what they did. Well, if that's your position, then it's very difficult to say the Lord's Prayer. Because it's, it's a bit like inverting verse 12 and saying, And do not forgive us our debts, as we also have not forgiven our debtors. But the wonderful thing about what Jesus has done is he has paid our debts in full. Our debts have been paid in full. That we might respond to the grace of God in our Lord Jesus. Because a forgiven people forgive from the heart. A forgiven people forgive. Maybe there's just a couple of questions as we close for you. Firstly, maybe you, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you have not been forgiven and reconciled to God. Let me invite you this morning as you're watching online to spend that time in prayer after that to ask God to forgive you that you might be reconciled to Him. And secondly, praise God for His forgiveness that your debts have been paid in full. Praise Him for that. And as we, as we think about closing, who is that person that you thought of in the beginning that you need to forgive either today or this week? Who is that person that you might be reconciled to them as much as it is in your power that you can forgive them from the heart? I'm going to pray and then 
I'm going to leave it for two or three minutes afterwards, just in silence, that you might be able to pray at home and respond to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness, your total and complete forgiveness in our Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can say from our hearts and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your sacrifice for us that we might respond to that. Help us, Lord, to be able to act upon it in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close, I'd love to read to us from Matthew chapter 7, familiar words concerning wise and foolish builders. You see, the challenge this morning isn't only to, to hear God's word, to hear about forgiveness and to think about forgiveness, but it's also to act upon God's word. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's pray. Father, we really do want to be a people who build our life on solid rock. People who not only listen to your word, but respond to it to do what it says. And so, Lord, we pray that at the beginning of this new week, as we thought about forgiveness this morning... You'd help each of us to take these things away ourselves, to to meditate upon them, to talk them through with others. And by the power of your spirit in our hearts to put them into practice in order that we might live as your people for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen.